Here on the Appalachian homestead, we're surrounded by ancient mountains. And if you listen carefully, you can still hear the ancestral wisdom echoing through their peaks and valleys. Welcome to the Appalachian Homestead podcast. I'm Shallon, and I'll be joined by my husband, Mark, and our friend, Nikki, from Illinois. As always, we don't do our podcasting from a soundproof box. There may be puppy noises or other noises from time to time. If you're looking for a perfect podcast, this isn't the one. And Nikki can be found on Instagram at Nikki's.lifeadventures. Right, Nikki? Um, yes. No, there's a lot of dots in there. Nikki's.life.adventures. Got it. What's up with you two having the longest emails in the history of emails? This isn't emails. It's our Instagram well, handles. same thing. <laughs> Mark says that I took every letter of the alphabet to make my email and my Instagram handle. That was, yeah. <laughs> Instagram made it complicated and wouldn't give me what I wanted. What is your connection to Appalachia? Okay, so my great-grandma and all of her family were from Kentucky and they started off in Eastern Kentucky and they eventually migrated over here. Not all of them, um, but my great grandma wound up coming out to Illinois because of who she married and they, he had to come out here for work. And so she came out here and she took her girls and so I've been here since. Everyone in your family has been there ever since great-grandma now. Yes. Not everybody, just this little grouping, because there's a whole bunch that stayed back in Kentucky. Right. Okay. But, yes. So just your direct family line is still yes. in Illinois. Now you said something that made me, like, stop. And I was like, yes, Nikki, yes. You said the Appalachian culture transcends time and distance because even though you have never really spent any time here, you still have that culture and raising because of your grandma and great grandma. Yes. Because that was what was important to them. That's what's important to me. And I'm hoping that I'm doing a good enough job that that's what's going to be important to my kids. That, and, and when we say Appalachian culture, we're mostly talking about Appalachian family culture. Yes. Not necessarily our dialect and pronunciations and all that, which I'm sure your great grandma and maybe your grandma still kind of sounded like us. They did. <laughs> so one of the things we talked about was how... A lot of times, and I would even go as far as to say most of the time, here in the Appalachian Mountains, we tend to marry young, have our children early, and then become grandparents fairly young and have active roles in our grandchildren and great-grandchildren's lives. So you were raised by your grandma or great-grandma? Um, both. Both. Same. Well, <laughs> everybody. 
the, the great aunts when they would come in because everybody would come this way right because um nanny my great grandma her sisters did not have children so everybody came this way and they all lived into their 90s so everybody would always come this way so I was raised by everybody (laughs) same I was raised by my parents obviously but also by their siblings my grandmother her siblings my great-grandmother and all of her siblings and I think that was kind of, that's kind of universal in this area. So grandma got married young and moved up there yes. and had her kids young. And I did the same thing. <laughs> and, and then, so great grandma did that. And then grandma did that. And then your mom did that. And you did that. Yes. Same here. It's um, in our family. Most of the time girls get married very early, even if they continue their education. They get er- they get married very early. They start having children very early. They may take a break in their education and then go back after a year or so, you know, when the baby's weaned. Thank God, I thought you said, I thought you were going to say they take a break between having babies and then start having them again. <laughs> no. Okay. So, and then we have our kids back to back. Yes. For the my, most part. My first two were, are 13 months apart. Mine are two years apart, but they gave me a run for my money. So your grandma, your great aunts and everybody took care of you. That I think is a very unique part of Appalachian culture is that typically there is somebody in the family who does a lot of the child rearing. And that makes sense. And that is something that we have, my family has, but it is not common here. In the north or in Illinois? Yes. Do you think that's a blanket? Like it's not common in the northwest or is it just not common outside of the Appalachian Mountains? Honestly, I think it's not common outside of the Appalachian Mountains. Because I haven't really heard of anybody that has the setup that we have or that I grew up with. If it is like, wait, you did what? And you had what help? And you still have what help? Right. That's one thing that I have noticed when I talk to other people is, you know, if they're thinking about moving to this area, they're asking about daycares. And while we do have a few, it's not that common. Most people either stay home, the mom stays home, the dad stays home, or a sibling is providing, you know, the parent's sibling. An aunt or uncle is providing care. A grandparent's providing care. It's not all that common for a stranger to raise your kid around here. Right. And I do, I feel like that is a different thing. Like, for instance, Mark and I do a lot of the care given for the littles in our family. Everybody who, and the, and the bigs too. (laughs) Not just the little, but the bigs and the little. (laughs) Everybody. We take care of everybody in our family, but we also have people who take care of us. You know, just like your mother, you, we talk about your mother-in-law a lot. We do. At any given moment, you could call her up and say, hey, I'm going to run by and bring the kids. And she would say, okay. Absolutely. Or she'll be like, give me 10 minutes. I will be home. Leave them here. Right. And in my case, I almost 
would have to fight my parents to keep my own children because they <laughs> they didn't know why they could just have them. Oh, she tells me that all the time. She's like, um, I don't care what you do during the week, but on the weekends, those are my babies. Yes, that's yes, that is so common. And we homeschooled, so it wasn't just on the weekends for us. Although I did try to have some sort of structure Monday through Friday. <laughs> Mark's chuckling over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On Monday, I tried to have structure. The rest of the week, I tried to survive. About halfway through Monday is when I'm trying to survive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my parents would just stop by if they had to come up the mountain for anything they were stopping by and picking the kids up and the kids were going home with them it did not matter if we were in the middle of math class mm -hmm. the kids were going home with them <laughs> because the education that they would receive on the compound would be far superior than any math lesson reading lesson whatever it was we happen to be doing yes i can't tell you we can't be just lazy around in our pajamas because more than once, my phone will ring and it will be my mother-in-law. I'm on my way there. I'll be there in about five minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, no problem. And is she coming to get the kids or mm -hmm. just come? <laughs> or just coming to drop off something or visit or whatever. Yeah. That's the way it is here. Like your parents just drop by. And it's another thing that's really, and it's the saying here is that if you move so far away from your parents' home that you can't see the smoke from their chimney, then you're too far. Okay. Well, when we were first married, she lived with us. Right. For the first little bit, because we were young and we had a baby and we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> right. And she taught you. She did. And she let us mess up because we did. Mm -hmm. and she was just there and then um you know i think we only live like eight minutes from her house now yeah that's about i live about that far from maybe 10 minutes from my parents that living together with your in-laws is is a thing in my family so when my mom and dad got married they lived with my dad's parents for a couple of years until they built their home next door to my dad's parents. And then when we got old enough to get married, we were always there on the compound with them. And my brother actually moved next door on the compound there. Okay. And now my son lives. I have a home there as well. My son, we gave Gray and Bree a home on the compound. And they live next door to my parents as well. So they're all living that generational lifestyle as well. Um, Mark and I lived with my parents while we were buying where we live now for a few months. And then Bree has received instruction, kind of like you're describing your, your mother-in-law giving you all the help and support and teaching you all the things. So when Gray took Bree to wife, then she has received instruction from myself and my mom and my daughter. And she's just the best kid ever. And it's funny because 
that sounds like it's normal by you. Uh-huh. Here, everybody was like, what are you doing? Why are you okay with this? And I'll be honest, you know, in the beginning, there was a little bit of whatever, because I was 22 and I'm, I want to run my house. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to run my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you don't know how to run a house till you're about 28. Right. <laughs> so, no, I was, there's a little bit of that. Well, I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I have a baby. I am pregnant with a second baby. And I am trying to run a household that I have no idea what to do with. <laughs> That's so funny. But you still, you had had that rearing from your grandmother. So you knew what to do. I didn't know. But you get off on that little bit of something. You know, you you decide you're an adult and that you know everything. Uh And it takes a little bit to kind of rein yourself back in. And no, no, I remember this. And I'm open to learning something else. And I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, between 12 and 30, I probably was like that. I got a little better by the time I was 35, and now I'm pretty good. And I'm turning 40 in like two weeks' time. So by the time you hit 40, you'll have plenty plenty of common sense, hopefully. (laughs) I turned 37 in November, and it's funny now. Because I look back on that time early in my marriage and early as a mother and my mother-in-law had the patience of a saint with me. (laughs) (laughs) And when I look back at the first years of our marriage, it's a wonder Mark's mother didn't strangle me half the day. (laughs) I came prepared because I came from a good family, but it's a wonder she didn't strangle me half to death because I literally thought that I didn't need her to teach me because my mom had taught me and my grandmother had taught me and I had the raising, (laughs) but I still had to learn how to take care of my husband. Exactly. And be a part of his family. And meld those things together. Right. And even though, cause his mom, so his grandmother, his mom's mother lived about what, a quarter mile from the compound, half mile, half mile at the most. And so I've known them all my life and our families are very similar and the culture is similar. So you would think that I would have just melted right in. (laughs) However, I did not. (laughs) And his dad, I always say his mom's good, but his dad has the patience of Job. Okay. That man is a saint. If there were ever a saint, that man's a saint. But it's a wonder my mother-in-law and him didn't strangle me half to death the first five years we were married. But that's, I think, the key there is even when we come from good families, and we have been taught, you were taught, I was taught, we still need that instruction from our in-laws on how to be part of that family and how to take care of their son or daughter. And that's, it's an ongoing thing. We've been together since 2007 and there's still things she teaches me. (laughs) Or explains to you why he is the way he is. Yes. Yes. 
I do that with Bree often. She'll, <laughs> she and I'll be talking and he'll do something. And I'll say, you know why he does that right there, don't you? And I'll explain it to her and she'll be like, now it makes sense. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've called her and be like, what did you do that your son is acting like this? <laughs> you need to come get your child. <laughs> That's how uh, Bree doesn't do that, but I know she must think it. She is a, I have never met a young woman with such a well-controlled tongue as that girl has. See, I did not have that. I was fiery when I was young. Same. I was too. <laughs> but that child has, and I call her a child, but she's an adult. I mean, she's 20s, but to me, younger, uh, you know, in my mind, 20 still a kid, but she is, she has the m- most well-controlled mouth and of any, any person I've ever known, patient will listen to me, will accept my advice. Most of the time will do what I ask her to do. Just a really, really good person. I'm so, I'm so lucky. Like I couldn't have gone out and picked across the world and said, okay, this is going to be the perfect one and got one better than her. That's perfect. She is great. But so moving on so we get married young we have our kids young we have strong family systems and structure my kids even know we've had that discussion once you are old enough to get married you can stay here your significant other your babies there's always going to be space until you're ready to do what you need to do in your own space right right mark can can gray and brie move in with us can and want to is too different. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to. When we gave them that house, I thought that Gray was going to jump for joy. He was so pleased to become, he wanted to be independent. Well, I shouldn't say, yeah, he wanted to be independent. I would not consider them to be totally independent yet. They still get a lot of instruction, a lot of support, not necessarily financially, but you know, emotional and guidance. Well, of course they would. They're still, I mean, they're still practically babies. Yeah, still young. And in 20 years, they'll know why we still feel the strong need to guide them a little bit. Yes, they will. So the other thing I think that's different here is parenting. You know, kids here and probably kids in your family, and I'm sure kids in other places, some kids in other places too, They don't just grow up. They get raised. Yes. So what, what did raising look like in your family? It's very similar to what I grew up with. We were always treated as part of the family. We were respected but we were also expected to turn around and give that respect back. Oh, for sure. Which is something I don't see a whole lot of here. Right. Um, Kids are, there, there was like this one movement before like mine and your age where kids were seen and not heard. Yes. And then there was the movement like mine and your age where kids were integral parts of the family and they were treated with respect and expected 
to function as part of the family. Yes. And then after, I don't know, about maybe five or 10 years after mine and your age group come the worship of the child. And we saw that my sister is almost nine years younger than me and her life experience and my life experience are drastically different. Yeah. I would, I would imagine. I would imagine because like my nieces are 10 years younger than me and while they weren't worshiped and they were raised, their peers (laughs) experiences were radically different than theirs or mine. Yes. And that seems to have to do with that family structure and that family support system as well. And it's fascinating to me because I can look at my siblings and their experiences because my brother did not have the benefit of nanny being around and a very limited amount of time with my grandma and my sister had no time with either one. Oh, wow. I bet that did look very different. And it looks very, very different. So they were not impressed upon by those Appalachian cultural traditions and values at all. Correct. Wow. And so when you look at their lives and yours now. Drastically different. Right. Not not to compare and say one's necessarily better than the others, but you feel like your family unit, your personal, now that you're married and have kids of your own family unit is, is it more structured or more? It is a lot more solid, solid than I see otherwise, because my mom did not want to continue any of those traditions from nanny or my grandma. Right. So she was, she was the one who wanted to get off the farm and out of those old ways and modernize. Yes. Everything. When I was a little girl and you used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wanted to have a very pretty wedding and I wanted to get married and I wanted to have babies. And then if I had time, I wanted to do hair because that's what grandma did. (laughs) And... Once nanny and grandma weren't there, mom said, absolutely not. Wow. So when I think about what I wanted to be when I was growing up, I think I just always wanted to be a mom. I don't think I wanted to be anything else. And it's funny because for a long time, I was away from it because that's, I didn't have anybody to continue to guide me where I needed to be. And I was just kind of flailing around. But I think when you're raised with those values, especially in those very early, very formative years, it sticks with you and you find your way back. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with that because (laughs) like I can remember when I was little growing up and if I didn't do my chores, I mean, I would get tapped, you know? Mm -hmm. And I can remember thinking at times I would never string another bean. I would never, 
I would never hoe another row of potatoes. I would never, you know, sucker tomatoes or, you know, pinch peppers or whatever. I just remember there were times, especially in like my, my teen years and my tween years where I would, if you would have asked me, I would have said, no, there will be no garden anywhere that I live because that's all I knew was just garden, 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 can, 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 hunt deer, fish in the streams, go in the woods and hunt for, you know, mushrooms and other forageables. And I would have told you I wouldn't do that. And yet here we are doing exactly that. But we did go away from, for it, from it for a time. I think probably from like 20 to, I don't know, probably from about 18 to 22, I didn't do anything except just help mom and dad. Okay. I didn't do anything on my own. And then came back to doing it. And my mom said that she used to pray that I had enough of my grandparents in me and enough of having been taught all my life that I would come back to it. And you did. And I did. But I think that also, just going off of what you said, though, about those formative years and coming back to it. I never felt like I needed to go. I took a break from it because I was tired. But I never felt like I needed to go out and, like, find myself. Okay. And I hear a lot of people say, you know, oh, you need to take a break and go find yourself, blah, 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 blah. And what I see on social media when people say they're doing that are people who are just like floating. They're not really finding anything. They're just floating. It's a weird concept for me. If someone said to me, I need to go and figure out what it is that makes me who I am. To me, that means I have the means to go and try this thing or this thing or this career or this skill set. And that's not what winds up happening. Right. What I mostly see are people who don't really know they weren't really raised necessarily well they just weren't necessarily really raised yes they they were they grew up but they didn't get raised and so now they're like trying to recapture in their late 20s and thir- and early 30s kind of recapture their teen years and be free spirited and carefree and And then they're also at the same time trying to spend adult amount of money, you know, right? to to go out and try everything on, just like you were saying, just to try everything on to then decide what best fits them. But in my raising, when I was growing up and in how I raised my own kids, there was a very big focus on who you are. In your family, you know, I I am my mother's daughter, my father's daughter. I am my brother's sister, my grandparents, granddaughter, 
and and I knew who I was and I knew what my role was in my family and what was expected of me in my role in my family. And they taught us who we were. So you didn't have to go find anything. And that was our conversation with Nikki regarding the family culture of Central Appalachia. We'd like to really thank her for joining us. And you can look forward to her on future podcasts as well. That wasn't all of our conversation, but we had such a long one that we decided to break it up into different parts. So, Mark, you didn't talk a lot when Nikki and I were talking. What do you think about the the family culture of Central Appalachia and how it plays a role in growing up and not needing to go searching for yourself, but knowing exactly who you are and how you can love and serve others well in your family and community? Um, well, I'm kind of confused on what that means, going and finding yourself. Sounds like people probably have too much time on their hands, probably a little too much money in their pocket. And uh, there's probably some chores they need to be doing instead. I, I don't really understand what that means, going and finding themselves. Does that mean they found a hobby they like to do and now they're known as the classic car guy or whatever the case may be? What does that mean? So to me, and because I've never experienced it, I'm just, you know, talking off the top of my head. What I see as far as like on social media is almost like a quarter life crisis. Instead of a midlife crisis, you have people who are in their twenties and thirties who are having a quarter life crisis. They've moved out of mom and dad's house. They finished college. They started the job that they thought that they wanted to work until their retirement. And then now suddenly they're dissatisfied. Or maybe they've stopped getting participation trophies. (laughs) and they need some attention. Well, maybe. But also, maybe they were nudged or felt pressured to go in a certain direction, and then they discovered that that wasn't really what they wanted. Or maybe it was what they wanted. And it worked out exactly what how they thought it would. But the sense of joy is not there. It's not like overwhelming and it didn't just change their life. Well, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I think you did hit something there. I think that in the age of social media especially, it's so easy to believe the squares and the reels, and the lives. And we fail to realize that that joy captured in that photograph may have lasted only as long as the snap on the camera did. If that long, it's probably all staged anyway. What joy is in it? What joy is it for something to be staged? Look how perfect my life is. Look how I made this apple pie. With my bare hands. I mean, I don't know. From what I've seen, I don't look at it much. It's it's staged. 
there is a lot of staging. I try not to do that with our social media, but sometimes it is nice to put a nice picture on there. It is, but what I'm saying is, when you're putting that nice picture on there, I've seen you, it's work. Oh, it's really work. And you were talking about it being joy. So when that picture is not showing joy, that's showing work and attention to detail and someone who's good at the craft. Oh, that is so good. That's also because I'm not the best at attention to detail. <laughs> Depends on what the details may be. Depend about. right. Dependent. That's probably why our social media feed does not reflect perfectly staged photographs. Mostly because we are so busy actually doing it that we don't have time to stage a perfect photo. We're doing good to just snap one as we go. I do think, though, that social media is playing a huge role in this. And, you know, maybe, maybe we don't realize that there's always going to be a little bit of work. And not all work is fun. In fact, most of it's not. We have to do a lot of things that we don't enjoy. But the overarching theme is that we love our lives. Yes, dear. <laughs> yes, dear. No, but we do. We work really hard. But we enjoy it. We enjoy to get out and garden and to work with animals and to do all the things that we do to can and put up the meat. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's that they, not they, but we are not always aware of the fact that we have to make joy. We have to choose it. It's not going to just find us. And sometimes it's about choosing to be joyful even when you're doing the thing that you don't necessarily enjoy. How often do you have to do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. And that's one thing that we talked a lot about to our kids when they were growing up. You know, their chores and their schoolwork and anything else that they may not have particularly enjoyed to do. We had a lot of conversations about being content even when you're not necessarily joyful and about deciding to be joyful that you're able to create joy for someone else. So maybe I don't enjoy to talk about space or study the stars and the moons and stuff, but you do. And so I'll indulge you in that conversation and try to contribute to it because I'm not smart enough. Well, I try not to bore you by not bringing it up, but when you ask me questions, <laughs> I, I can't let some things just float on through and not say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, that's not how that is. Right, but sometimes, and and you don't particularly enjoy to do a lot of the work <laughs> that I ask you to do, but you do it because it contributes to my joy. Well, what part of it do I enjoy? Which ones do you think I really, really dislike? Oh my gosh, this is great. I think you, oh my gosh, this is great. You enjoy to grow our own food. 
They can't see you shaking your head. At the end of the season, I enjoy it. It's hard work during the season. I think you enjoy to put up our own food and to be able to go into our pantry and... I enjoy not going to the grocery, yes. I enjoy the snot out of that enough to put up with the other parts that I don't enjoy. Don't you? (laughs) And the same thing with everything else that we do. So it's a matter of choosing joy, choosing contentment, even when there isn't joy. Uh, I've learned over the years, whether you see it coming or whether you just look back one day and say, wow, here's what really happened. If you're not content, something's going to happen where you're going to have to find yourself trying to be content with less. True. If that's not good enough for what, you know, God gave you and that's not good enough and you're not content in this and you chose this and you have this and you work for that and now you have it and you're not content. Well, something liable to happen. It's out of the blue one day, maybe sooner, maybe later. And you're like, man, I had it made and I just wasn't happy. I agree. And that's something that as a family we do encourage each other towards when we're dissatisfied or being molly downmouth about whatever's happening. One thing that you have always said to me, if I'm being particularly downcast about something, is it could always be worse. I can think specifically of the time when we lost everything in the storage unit, and I was literally in the floor crying. We lost it to a flood. And I was literally in the floor crying upset because we had lost heirlooms. This was when we were moving, and we had stored some things in a storage unit. We had lost family heirlooms. And I fought with our insurance company. They weren't going to pay because it wasn't in our home. And we didn't have any type of insurance on the storage unit, so it was just a loss. And you said it could be worse. And I remember distinctly saying it could not be. And less than, what, two weeks later, your dad fell off a ladder and broke his neck. And I said it could not be worse. And you said it could be worse. And within a week or two, my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I stopped at that point. Short of losing anyone that we loved, I stopped saying it couldn't be worse and realized very quickly that it could be worse. It could always be worse. Told you. (laughs) It could always be worse. And that, but that is something that you have, we do for each other. It could be worse. And for the kids. And the other thing that we have talked a lot about as parents and to each other is not borrowing trouble, trouble that doesn't exist yet. Let's go out and get some of that future trouble. That future trouble, yeah. You know, it's easy to fall into worrying that you're going to be dissatisfied at the end of your life. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to with this go find yourself mentality that's overtaking the world is 
they're convinced that at the end of their life, on their deathbed, they're going to be dissatisfied. I think it's they're just jealous of other people. And I want to have that happiness. And it may not be doing pottery, but I may be, you know, something else. Or I may have my own quilt shop, or I'm going to open a bakery or whatever. They see all these other people on social media or TV or whatever, and I think they're not happy with their life because they see all that other. I don't think they think down the line, oh, when I'm 75 on my deathbed, I'm going to look back. No, I don't think it goes that deep. These people today aren't that deep. There is a lot of surface, especially in the world of social media. But I want to believe that at least some of them are convinced that at the end of their life, they're not going to be satisfied. And I'm convinced a bunch of them won't be. I don't know what they feel, but I know <laughs> I, I'm convinced of it. <laughs> but it won't be for the reasons that they believe that they will not be satisfied. It will be because they chased and chased and chased and never took a single moment to enjoy the moments that they were living in. So one of the things that we focus on in our families, and I think a lot of families in this area focus on, is not only being content. We talk about contentment. We try to cultivate contentment. And we talk about being joyful. But we also talk to each other and to our children and set this example that it's not about us all the time. Sometimes it's about the people that we are supposed to love and cherish. And it's not only about our joy, but it's about theirs too. And sometimes we have to give a little bit of ours away in order to see someone that we love have joy. Maybe we have to do something boring. Maybe we have to do an extra chore to take it off their plate or something like that or any number of other things. But above all, the number one thing that we teach our children is to love others well. Thank you for joining us on the Appalachian Homestead Podcast. I'm Shallon. I was joined today by my husband, Mark, and our friend, Nikki. We'd like to invite you to join us on Instagram. Our handle is at the Appalachian Homestead. Nikki's is at nikki's.life.adventures. Hold on a minute. My pen ran out of ink. Go ahead. <laughs> And as a final reminder, we encourage you to love one another well and serve one another in love.